back to the Special Strength Fitness Podcast. In today's episode, we are going to melt the medical sciences with the training and nutrition sciences and talk to somebody who I think has the perfect combination of being an athlete, being a coach, and working in the medical field. Please help welcome our guest today, Aisha Muslim. All right, guys, we're here with Aisha Muslim. I have been looking forward to having this chat for a while now because one, we haven't caught up in a spell. Uh, we used to train together the same uh, Muay Thai gym back in the day. And two, uh, given the context of what's going on in the world, she is a registered nurse working at the moment. And she has a background as an athlete as well as a coach now. So I'm very excited to get her perspective on what's going on in the world, health and fitness and everything uh, related to that. So without further ado, please welcome Aisha Muslim to the show. Hey, Aisha. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. My pleasure. I'm glad we could get this done. I know we've run into some... Uh, technical glitches, but we're finally here. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> okay. Um, I always like to do this with uh, all of my guests. Uh, before we get into any kind of conversation, I want to get give them an idea of who you are, sort of where you came from. So one question I always ask is, when was the very first time that you were exposed to anything sports or health and fitness related? And what kind of sparked that journey for you? Um, well, you know, I used to do horseback riding, actually, when I was a young teenager, no way. Like about 13. Yeah. I never knew that. That's cool. Yeah. So I did that for about eight years. Um, and that was my first kind of like step into fitness, but I didn't even really realize that it would later lead to so much more. Um, and then I took a bit of a break for a few years during the end of high school and then picked it up again with Muay Thai for the first time when I was 19. Um, and I just kind of started that for like weight loss and just like a general wanting to get healthy because I wasn't really exercising at all at the time. Um, and then slowly started working out like a couple more days a week until I was up to like five or six days a week and then started thinking about competing and taking it a little bit more seriously. That's amazing. I, I never knew you were into horseback riding. I'm still stunned by that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah it was uh, fun. Did you do that in Toronto or somewhere else? Uh, like Markham Stouffville. So not too far oh, away. Okay. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's there's cool. a lot of like uh, barns where you can just go and do lessons once a week type of thing. So we did that for quite a bit. Wow. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Now for yeah. the listeners, obviously who haven't had a chance to meet you or see you in action, uh, let me give uh, my sort of perspective on my time with you at the gym. Uh, Aisha is one of those few women who actually like hung in there with the guys. And I've had the privilege of watching her kind of when, she, when I first joined that gym and, and she was training at that stage. And as her skills progressed, I got to experience that uh, both as someone who's just watching it and on the end of her punch, punches and kicks and knees. So <laughs> it was quite, well, thank you. I appreciate it was it. quite nice to see that transformation happening because uh, one, um, and I had this discussion with uh, Zubair, who I interviewed uh, a few days ago, and we were talking about how, you know, uh, Muay Thai, Muay Thai gyms or combat sports typically, uh, at least historically, have been very male dominated, right? You don't see a lot of women who are training competitively. And on top of that, you know, you're a Muslim woman and you, and you obviously wear the hijab and, and there's certain things that you have to maintain that way and you do. And that's another, if you want to call it a challenge or, or something that you need to work around. So I've seen you do that, which is so inspirational. Thank Could you. you talk 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 to us about that a little bit and tell us what what it takes to be a woman a woman in the sport, which is mostly male dominated, and second, being a Muslim woman, and how do you maintain kind of that identity? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I didn't really notice it at the beginning. Like when I first started doing Muay Thai, I wasn't thinking about doing it competitively competitively at all. 
Um, and so I never really noticed the divide as much. Um, sorry, can you see me? Yep. All good. Yeah. Okay. Um, so when I started competing more, I think that was when I noticed it. Um, cause I would go to competitions and there would be no girls in hijab. Like I was pretty much the only girl in hijab at most fights. Um, and the only Muslim girl at most fights. Whereas when I had been training in the gym, there was girls around uh, quite a bit more. Um, so I think I noticed it the most then, but you know, I don't really think I got too many negative comments. I got more positive ones. Like I would get people coming up to me being like, oh, I saw you fight. Oh, you're the the hijabi girl that fights. So I think it kind of stood out to people a little bit and they were kind of happy to see like a minority a little bit more in the ring. Um, so I found more positive experience from it than negative, but I think I definitely have heard comments of people being like, oh, you know, that's something that you shouldn't do. And that gives the wrong impression. I've even had people say things like, oh, you're never going to be able to find a husband and stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I kind of just brush those comments off because to me, it's never, it was never about being violent. It was more about like learning the skill and the discipline and the motivation that it takes. So I think anyone that really understands that will respect it. And and that's fascinating because all of us, you know, pursue certain activities or, or sports for our own individual reasons, right? Uh, so what was your reason for doing Muay Thai, which is objectively a pretty hardcore martial art, this very full contact type, it's it's not for everybody. So yeah. why did you pursue it? You know, I think there's a lot of reasons. I think that it makes me feel like a stronger person to be able to fight not only someone else, but myself. Like to go through a difficult training camp takes so much out of you mentally and physically. And to be able to overcome that and be successful at the end of a long training camp or just to be a better version of yourself takes a lot of strength. And I feel like when I do that, then I'm able to do better in all other areas of my life because it gives me the the purpose and the, the concentration and the focus and all of that stuff that's needed for the rest of life. What was your favorite part about a training camp? Winning a fight for sure. But if we're talking about the actual training camp, I like the part where you start to feel like things that were hard a month ago and like almost impossible are now starting to feel easy. Like when you're doing that three minute long round that felt Mm -hmm. like 20 minutes a month ago, and now it feels like, oh, the round's over. Like I didn't even realize. I love that feeling. And what was the most difficult or the part you just didn't like at all? Um. I think the self-doubt, definitely, yeah. I mean, cutting weight first, like dieting. Oh, yeah, that's I was going to say cutting weight. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I hate that. Um, but also I found for a lot of my fights, I was I would really start to doubt myself in like the last couple of weeks leading up to the fight. And I would think like, why am I even doing this? Do I have what it takes? Am I going to be able to win? Um, so I think that was hard for me. But I found like as I've progressed and like um, as I've matured it's mm-hmm. it's been easier for me to kind of just enjoy it more and recognize that like i've won regardless of if i win or not because of how hard i've worked and are you still actively training or competing of course you know whenever you can i'm still training um gyms have been closed pretty much the majority of the last year yeah. um but i've been running like three or four times a week and i'm doing weight training and i'm doing um shadow boxing like as much as I can. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that the gyms will open soon again and I can start actually training in a Muay Thai gym soon. I hope My goal so. Is to... Go ahead. Sorry. 
No, I'm hearing rumors that the gyms are supposed to open at least on a temporary basis, like very soon. Yeah, I'm, I'm really hopeful. I My goal of the whole last year was just to fight like every month, basically, and that was completely shot down. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that this year stuff starts to open that I can, you know, get on with it. Well, clearly you're you're fairly experienced in the sport and and just, you know, being healthy and active. And I really want to get your perspective as a woman. You know, what what is different when it comes to women who are trying to stay healthy, whether they're doing it through a sport or just at the gym uh, versus men in your observation? Honestly, there's so much. Um I think like beyond just the different way that our body processes food and processes processes activity and all of that. There's so many conditions that women can have physically that can affect their ability to get healthy that are often like overlooked. For example, um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which mm-hmm. is something that I have. Um, and that affects the way that your body metabolizes sugars, similar to the way that um, it works for people that have diabetes, type two diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can make it so much more difficult to lose weight and maintain a certain level of fitness. Um, so there's things like that. There's hormonal changes and hormonal challenges that women go through that men don't necessarily have to go through to the same degree. Um, so I think it's really important when you're trying to look at fitness in general, that you don't compare yourself to others, especially if you're a woman, don't compare yourself to men because everyone's going through different things physically and mentally that we're not necessarily aware of that really make an impact on how we are able to access sport and fitness. Yeah, absolutely. I was, uh, you know, I'm part of a lot of groups on Facebook and one of these nutrition groups that I'm part of had a question asked by a woman uh, recently. And and she basically said, I'm able to maintain, you know, a consistent weight loss program or weight loss progression for five to six months, but then I crash. And then two months, the following two months are just completely off the charts, you know, I'm gaining the weight back up, I'm not able to get back down. And uh, what I observed was a lot of the comments from both, you know, men and women who are coaches in the industry was, you know, oh, you know, the technical stuff, like, oh, you know, your calories, your macros, your this and that. And I kept thinking, well, hold on a second. You know, let's scale it back a second. First of all, you have to identify the fact that she has a different biology than men. So the people giving advice need to understand that first. Second, her the, the way the stress of dieting is going to affect her is very different from how it's going to affect uh, a male. So you have to factor that in when you're giving these pieces of advice. And I immediately sure. thought back to weight cutting, right? As mm-hmm. That's something that as fighters, uh, you do quite often when you're competing, you cut weight to make a certain weight category. And that is like a, a compressed version of a weight loss program, right? You're really yeah. doing a rapid weight loss program. Uh, speak to us a little bit because you have a nursing background, so you understand the biology as well. Uh, speak to us a little bit about what that experience was like for you and what would you do differently now, now that you understand you know, the human biology at a nursing level? Honestly, um, I would never cut weight again if I could go back to it. Um, I think I've cut weight probably like seven or eight times. Um, for those who don't know, that's drastically cutting your calorie intake and your salt. Um, sometimes your water to try to maintain a lower level of weight for five minutes or however long it takes you to weigh in and then eating and drinking again so that you go back up to your your normal weight class. Um, and because I have polycystic ovarian syndrome, there's been so many times where I've been like far off from the weight that I needed to be to fight, but I couldn't get down in weight even though I was dieting properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gave me, it gave my body so much stress. And then when I would start eating again after the weight cut, I would like balloon up to 
like 10 pounds heavier than I had been prior to starting the weight cut. Yeah. Um, I think that's what happens to a lot of people on a, on a different scale when they're doing these crash diets, because you start to lose weight and then your body's in so much stress that as soon as you start eating again, your body's holding on to all the calories it can get, because it's like, I don't know when I'm going to get these calories again. So I need to hold on to it. You also start bloating. Um, there's been times where I've gone back to the gym after a weight cut and people have said, Oh, you look like you've gained weight. And it's not necessarily that I have gained weight, but that I've been so bloated from eating more than I was prior to the weight cut. Um, yeah, I think it's done a lot of damage to my metabolism. And I know a lot of people that have had similar issues where they've done like really severe water cuts. Mm -hmm. They've done um, maybe like sitting in a sauna or sweating for days and not drinking anything. And then they're overweight and not able to lose the weight again. So if anyone's listening, who's thinking about doing a weight cut, never do it. Terrible. Yeah, please don't do it. I mean, not only does it affect your performance if you're in a sports situation, but if for you're sure. just somebody who's dieting or who wants to look a certain way for, you know, an event or, or, or a photo shoot or what have you, uh, unless, uh, you know, my general rule is unless you're within, you know, maybe two pounds of the weight you want to be at, maybe three pounds, it's really not necessary and it's harmful because you and I both know people personally who've cut like 20, 25 pounds before a fight. And then yeah. you see what happens to their health afterwards, you know, liver problems, uh, hormonal issues. I myself went through something like that after my basic soldier training in the army. Um, mm -hmm. I remember I went in, I was maybe 190 at, uh, when I went in. I came out two months la later at like 160, maybe 159. <laughs> so that was a yeah. drastic weight cut because we were working 18, 20 hours a day and the, the calories we're getting, not necessarily uh, enough to keep us at maintenance. But after I came back to civilian life, uh, of course, you go back to your daily eating patterns and habits, and lo yeah. and behold, I ballooned right up to two ten within like a month. Yeah, and yeah, it's, it's so been easy. the hardest thing to shake that off. Yeah, and it's not only is it damage is it damaging to your liver system and like your kidneys, it's also super damaging to your cardiovascular system, like your heart. Because if you think about the electrolytes that are necessary to keep your heart pumping properly, like potassium and sodium, um, and calcium, if you're depleting yourself really drastically of your water. Um, or just your, your calories in general, you're probably not getting all of those electrolytes. And we've known, we've heard stories of people in Thailand and other countries that have done water cuts and gone running in the sun and have just had a heart attack and died. Um, and people don't think about that. And I've definitely had scary weight cuts where I felt like, you know, if I kept going, that there was going to be some, some dangerous thing that was going to happen to me, you know? And I think a lot of people have felt that but just kind of keep pushing through because there's this mentality of like, you have to make the weight and you have to, you know, it's, you do need to make the weight, but if you're not going to make it, you shouldn't kill yourself to get there. Like there are much worse things than not making weight. Yeah. Sure. And it transfers not just in the sport industry, but also in physique competitions or the Instagram influencer world. Uh, if anybody's listening who's heard even one episode, uh, I've obviously talked about influencers a lot because I have a special place in my heart where I do not like uh, these influencer types uh, who are not doing a good job of promoting proper information when it comes to properly managing your weight, properly eating, properly training and staying at a healthy body uh body level, whether there's body image or actual physical health. And, uh, you know, when you look at the diets that are out there, right, you got carnivore diet, keto diet, you name it, you've got it out there. A lot of these influencers who people look to for information now, who people look to as, oh, hey, they look a certain way. I want to look that way. I'm going to follow the plan that they're talking about. Uh, the average person doesn't really know the background of it, which is these people, first of all, that's all they do. Majority of them, that's all they do. They can center their whole life around eating properly and training and resting. Um, second, they're almost 
all of them on supplements, some of them on extra special supplements, right? Uh, some <laughs> extra helpful ones, let's call them that. And third, the kind of physique that they get down to the single digit body fat or for, for women, it's like low double digit body fat, like 10%, 12%, which objectively, of course, it looks good, right? I mean, we get it visually, it looks appealing. And they're almost always taking pictures where they're always smiling, surrounded by a pile of money, nice cars, all of that. And they sell you that image. Well, that's extremely unhealthy, isn't it? To be at that low body weight and that low body fat percentage. And even they don't maintain it year round. Yeah, because it's, it's so difficult to maintain it. Like you need more calories in order to be able to function, you know, gain muscle and do what you need to do to survive. And that's essentially it. I've been fortunate enough to see some bodybuilders in action uh, from the backstage perspective. And it's it's a game of survival. Like some of them are like this close to going to the hospital and they're yeah. just sticking it out until that show is done or the photo shoot is done. And you see them gorge on all kinds of things and go rebound really hard, just like we talked about, we went through. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just overall, it's just a very unhealthy way of life. Like it's just, it shouldn't need to be that drastic and extreme. You can still maintain a great physique that doesn't require you to deplete yourself so dramatically. And and as a nurse, of course, you see the medical side of things, right? I always differentiate between, you know, the training side of things, which is to keep you healthy, prevent you from breaking down and, and having to go to the doctor. But then there's the medical side of it where once you break or something's broken, those are the people who are the experts in that field. So you need to go talk to them and see them. So you're kind of seeing both sides of it, which I, I, I yeah. love that. What do you it's see on the medical side? Um, in terms of like weight cutting? Yeah, well, health in general, because a majority of people nowadays are either overweight or come say they're overweight, they have a perception, perception of that, or they do drastic things to cut their weight. You know, what are you seeing that in terms of the health profile of the average human being now who, who are showing up to the hospital? What's broken? I think it's just not enough of a middle ground. Like there's not enough people that are doing some type of physical activity every day or some type of healthy eating every day. You see people that are dealing with issues of eating disorder, or you see people that are extremely overweight. You don't see a lot of people that are consistently managing their health throughout their lives. I mean, you do once in a while, but mm -hmm. in general, there's a lot of type two diabetes often caused by food. There's a lot of um, issues with smoking. There's a lot of things that are um, kind of like chronic issues that begin because people aren't necessarily focusing on what they should be focusing on consistently. And that could just be little changes every day. It could just be eating a little bit healthier for five days out of the week and then kind of having your cheat days on the weekend. Like there's not enough people doing moderation, I feel. Okay. That's what I'm kind of seeing in the hospital these days. And, and I, I see that in sort of the training aspect of it. When I take clients on, majority of them come in with some kind of a chronic lifestyle uh, situation that they've neglected for a long time. And like you yeah. said, it's just small changes that would help fix it. Why do you think we're seeing so such a big shift in in these lifestyle slash chronic style diseases or situations that people are dealing with? Why, why do you think that's happening now? You know, I think it's partially a lack of education and partially because of the way that society is set up right now in the Western world. Like, for example, there's such a big push for snacking and you know, buying these these treats that you can eat at any time of day. Whereas like 50 years ago, there was three meals a day. People would eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then go to sleep. But now you can eat at any time. You wake up at 7 a.m. and you're eating until 11 p.m. And then you go to sleep. Like there's just, there's no regulation 
necessarily. Mm-hmm. And there's not the education to give people the knowledge of how to eat and how to exercise. Like a lot of people that I know that haven't ever been to a gym have no real idea how to exercise or what's a good and healthy diet. So they just kind of do what they find from Google or from seeing someone on Instagram, but they don't really have the background knowledge to be like, okay, this is a good carb. This is, you know, processed sugar. I shouldn't be eating this too much or, you know, I need to eat more of these, this type of vegetable. So there's people just don't have the knowledge and don't really know where to seek it out. Maybe. I don't know. What, I think it's a variety of factors. And you hit her on the, on the nail with, with the whole Google thing, right? I mean, people nowadays, anything they need, they go online, they look it up. Mm-hmm. What do you think are the pros and cons of that when it comes to health? I think it's very dangerous. I think you you need a background knowledge before you can even know what to Google. Yeah. Like if you're just searching, you know, for random information, you'll come up with a website that might give you completely incorrect information. Um, so you need to have like a background knowledge and you need to know where to go. You need to know what professionals to ask. Um, I recommend like good nutritionists if you're and and if you're if you're looking for a nutritionist, look for their reviews too. Like, don't just go with the first person you find, because even people that have the qualifications might not really know what they're talking about necessarily. So you need to do your research, and you need to see if what they're saying matches up with how you feel when you follow their advice. Like, do you? Is it someone who's just saying you should go off macros, but you've tried macros before, counting your macros, and it doesn't work for you? You know, so you have to look at what will work with your lifestyle and. Like and also what knowledge they have, not just the knowledge that they have. And that's the scariest thing to me, right? Because everybody nowadays is, okay, I am a registered dietitian, let's say, okay? Mm-hmm. Or I am a physiotherapist. Well, just having a degree or a certification, just like in the fitness world, having so-and-so certification as a personal trainer or what have you, it doesn't mean you know what you're talking about, right? No, not because you don't really need that even. You can just get on Instagram, take a few pictures, and there you go, you're a coach apparently. So, yeah, and that's the scary part. I find that so scary because especially when it comes to medical advice or medical uh, topics, when people look it up on Dr. Google, uh, that's a fine line because they don't, majority of them don't have the background education. And by background education, of course, we're talking about formal education where they've gone through rigorous training and testing to ensure that they know, you know, what's the difference between good and bad. Yeah. And I also think it's really important to find someone like a professional that will listen to you and not just spew off their their information, they have to be willing to hear your feedback and go from there. Because some people will just tell you what to do. And when you tell them, oh, this isn't working for me, or I'm not sure what to do with this, Mm -hmm. they'll just keep spitting out the same information back at you. So make sure you're looking for someone that is actually taking what you say into account. That's golden advice. I tell that to every single client of mine. I tell them, Mm -hmm. listen, if I say something, and and I say, this is a great way to do one thing, and it doesn't work for you, let me know because we need to adjust. It cannot be just one idea works for everybody. That's just not how life works. Yeah, You have to definitely. be flexible in that approach. Now, shifting gears to coaching a little bit, uh, you know, obviously I've seen you as an athlete and in recent years, you've made a transition to being a coach yourself in the fitness industry. Can you talk talk to us a little bit about how that transition came by? What drove you to jump in the coaching pool and, and where are you with that now? Sure. Yeah. Um, I was always kind of assistant coaching at gyms I was training at. Um, just that's kind of how it works in the Muay Thai world. I'm sure, you know, people ask you, Oh, can you cover this class? Um, and I realized that I, I actually really enjoyed it. I liked seeing people go from a beginner level to intermediate and slowly improving themselves and knowing that you're part of that, that improvement and seeing how happy it makes them to know new skills and to be more comfortable as an, as an athlete. Um, 
So I decided that I just wanted to expand that a little bit more and do some personal training um, for anyone that was interested. So since I do have a busy schedule as a nurse, I kind of, um, I don't open up my personal training that much. I don't advertise it that much, but I do get people that, that inquire and ask me if I um, have space in my schedule. And I, I've had about uh, 10 clients right now that I am training and I have room for several more. Um, and I enjoy it. It's fun. It's uh, it's a great way to keep yourself engaged in the sport. And I feel like in order to show that you really know something, you have to be able to explain it at the most basic level. Yeah. And if you can, if you can give people that knowledge and give them the um, ability to learn it from the ground up, then you know that you're still um, improving yourself in the sport. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think it was Einstein who says something to that effect that if you can't explain something simply, you don't really understand it at all. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Anybody can, again, go to Google and read off a nice complicated uh, paragraph, but to make it simple is the key. Uh, mm-hmm. So, okay, what kind of things, if somebody wants to come work with you and train with you, what kind of things do you offer? Um, so I do a lot of weightlifting, um, not Olympic lifting, mostly mm-hmm. um, body weight exercises and dumbbell workouts, barbell workouts. Um, just to kind of give you the overall strength. Um, I also do circuits and I do Muay Thai and boxing. Um, I have my own pads, so I do pad holding for people, mm-hmm. um, as well as just giving them information on shadow boxing and, um, circuits to improve their Muay Thai and boxing abilities. Any plans to compete yourself when things open up again? Oh, for sure. I want to do as many competitions as I can this year. <laughs> Yeah, I was just talking to Zubair and I told him, I, you know, I still have the itch to try at least winning one regional competition. It hasn't yeah. gone away completely. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully things open up by the summer and we can start getting some good training in. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I want to tie it back to your nursing again, because I, I, I value that experience so much. You're in the field. And I think, like I said, like I was saying, certifications are great. They're a good launching point, but that's not enough. You need experience in the field mm-hmm. with actual people. When you look at somebody who's maybe not leading the healthiest lifestyle for themselves or not making the changes they need to make to get better at that, what's something that you'd want to tell that person? Because you see people in the hospital, you see what happens when people neglect a healthy lifestyle. So what would you say to a person who's just neglecting it all? Well, I think what's important is that they have to have the drive themselves to want to make a change. I think if you just come at someone with a whole bunch of information about a healthy lifestyle, if they're not willing to do the work, you're going to just be talking to a wall. Mm -hmm. I think they have to have that desire to start making a change. Um, And if they do, and if they come to me with questions, I try to give them as much information as possible. Um, I try to give them resources. I don't really recommend Canada's food guide. Like I, I don't love that. Um, but I try to give them information on just general healthy eating and healthy lifestyle tips. Um, trying to give people the, the concept of doing some type of movement every day. doesn't need to be a hard workout. doesn't need to be running or, you know, an elliptical, but it needs to be something that you enjoy so that you want to keep coming back to it. Um, and I try to give people the idea of, you know, it can be five minutes a day. It doesn't need to be 50 minutes, you know, you can start with five minutes, you can build it up a little bit. You need to be kind to yourself about how much you're doing. And if you, if you can't, sorry, can you see me? Yep. All good. Yeah. Okay. Um, and if you can't do, you know, 45 minutes every day, that's okay. Just do what you can. That's what I would tell people. That's very good advice. I'd say, I mean, I, I say the same things. It's just do something. Something's better yeah. than nothing. Right. Exactly. Small steps. For sure. Yeah. How has the pandemic affected your own training 
I mean, obviously gyms are shut down, so we can't go and have fun with our friends anymore. What do we do? What have you yeah, done? Yeah, I mean, it's it was really tough at the beginning, and I think there are still weeks when it's really tough. Um, at the beginning, I tried to keep my training the same as it had been when I was in the gym. So I tried to keep doing my same um, Muay Thai workouts and same weightlifting workouts. But over time, I've kind of adjusted it to be a little bit easier on myself and kind of go with the flow of the week because some weeks are easier than others and there's more motivation some weeks than others. Um, I've incorporated running. So I've been doing a lot of that. Um, I did a lot in the summer and then got back into it again in November. Um, in January, I did a 50 K month. So I did 50 kilometers, uh, in the month. And then I'm trying to do around that much every month now. So that's like two to three runs a week of a 5k. Um, and then I've been doing a lot of Olympic weightlifting lately have a barbell in my house. So I've been doing that um, and just trying to stay as active as possible without being too hard on myself. Cause I definitely have a tendency to do that. I remember so, that. I remember yeah. that very well. <laughs> yeah. Now, that's interesting that you're running so much because I remember you had a problem with the knees, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. had two knee surgeries on my right knee. Um, but I found if I, if I take it pretty easy and I do no more than three times a week, and I don't run too fast. I found it's been pretty good. I have a great physiotherapist, um, Jared Bruce at Foundation Physio in downtown. And he's given me a lot of um, great exercises to keep my knee strong. So I do those as much as possible. Now, I was personally there when you injured your knee in the ring one of those times. Oh, I remember I remember watching you sparring with somebody in the ring. and uh, The worst. <laughs> and I remember you took a weird step back in the corner. And you're like, oh, and I'm like, oh, something just happened. Yeah. So how do you, I want to talk about the mental component of that, because coming out of injury, especially for athletes who are kind of like, I want to get something done. I want to, I want to achieve something. The, the go, go, go getters. How do you come out of that? Like, oh, I'm injured. I'm, I've got downtime. I'm broken. How do you, how did you come out of that? Honestly, it was horrible. Um, the first time wasn't as bad as the second time, but the first time, I, I was training for a fight. The fight was in a couple of months. And I, when I injured my knee, I was just heartbroken because I knew it was going to take six months um, to heal and be able to start going back to sport. Um, so it was really challenging. I really like leaned on my friends, um, mostly at the gym who were, you know, kind of keeping me focused and kept reminding me to come into the gym and keep doing as much as I could do. So I tried to focus on other types of movement and getting my upper body stronger and working on my pull-ups and that kind of thing. So that was what really kept me sane. Um, and just kind of looking ahead and just focusing on, you know, the future and trying to get back to sport. What, what was wrong with the knee? I mean, what happened with it? Uh, I tore my ACL. Oh man, those are tough. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's the rough one. <laughs> Oof, that's tough. Okay. Yeah. Now, I'm going to talk about COVID a little bit because I think so many people, because of COVID and the gym shutting down, et cetera, have been home. And yeah. a lot of people have fallen to bad habits while staying at home because yeah. there's just nothing else to do but snack and eat and do nothing. So yeah. for people who are stuck at home, what are, what are some good habits they can start implementing to start coming back out of that negative health space, I'll call it? and move mm -hmm. towards a, a better health profile? What can they do at home? Yeah. Honestly, I think just little changes every day. I think pick something that you can do that's not gonna tax you too much mentally. So whether that's eating more vegetables for every meal, I think adding things that, in terms of food, adding things in 
that are additions rather than subtractions at the beginning is helpful. So adding in more vegetables to your meals instead of taking away something until mm-hmm. you feel a little bit more full and you feel more used to that. And then you can start saying, okay, now add like decrease the rice a little bit or decrease the, you know, whatever the carb is just a little bit, just small changes every day. Because I like to remind myself and people that it, it didn't take, you know, a week to gain all the weight that you gained. It took progressive many weeks. So if you're, if you're trying to get to a better place, it's going to take time and you have to just be consistent, just keep doing what you're doing um, and just know that it's going to make a change over time. And then again, just adding in whatever activity you like, whether that's walking, running, um, shadow boxing, dancing, anything that's going to give you, you know, that getting your heart rate up, that's super important. And just two minutes a day. I, I had a client a while back, a few years ago, who was a nurse. And, and mm-hmm. so she, one of her challenges was that the schedule of, of that job is quite different from what you would consider nine to five, right? Yes. Yeah. D- definitely have rotating shifts, longer shifts, et cetera, changes. How do you deal with that complexity in your schedule with staying relatively consistent with your diet and training? Yeah, I think for that, I think the most important thing is maintaining a good diet because there's going to be days when you're going to be too exhausted to get in a good workout. Um, but you have to set yourself up for success with planning your meals, making sure that you bring what you need to eat at work and enough food so that you're not going to feel like, okay, let me go to Tim Hortons and get a donut because I didn't bring enough food. So making sure that you're planning your meals properly and bringing healthy food to eat is like step number one. Um, and then I think plan out your week in advance. What days am I going to work out? What days am I going to take as my rest days? Because I think if you try to say, I'm going to work out every day, and then you finish a 12-hour shift and you get home and you're like, I'm exhausted. I'm going to take a break. But then you feel bad about yourself because you haven't done what you planned. So I think planning in advance to take those rest days is important. And also planning, okay, I'm going to push myself a little bit on this day where I have no work or I have a, you know, a shorter shift or whatever it may be. It comes back to what you said earlier, which is be kind to yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the key. Yeah, I want to I want to switch gears a little bit and, and play a little game here. I, I like to challenge every single one of my guests with either a question or a little thing. So this is my thing sure. with you. Pretend I'm a client, okay? I've come to you and said, I need help with my health and fitness, okay? Now, what I'm going to do is come up with a few standard, typical excuses people make to themselves, right? Which gives them an out, which gives them the, the way out and instead of doing the hard work, instead of doing the consistent work, the way out. I want mm-hmm. you to give me one actionable piece of advice or two uh, for each of the excuses I come up with so that the sure. listeners can think, oh, yeah, I, I make that excuse. Well, there's something I can do about it. Okay. Okay, perfect. All right, Aisha. Um, I know you gave me the the meal plan and the training plan, and you gave me all the great advice, but I just don't have the time. Mm-hmm. You don't have the time. So do you watch TV every day? Yeah. Yeah. After work. Yeah. How much time do you spend watching TV? Two and a half hours a day. Okay. Do you think you could cut back half an hour and use that time for meal prepping? So you're still watching two hours a day? I could, but then I'm missing out on my favorite shows. Mm-hmm. So do you want to watch your shows more than you want to be healthy and fit? Fair point. All right. <laughs> there you go. See, I, I love that. I love the way you walk them through the psychological <laughs> steps of that. That's great. All right. Here's another common excuse. Um, I'm at home. I don't have any equipment. You know, it's just... I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. There's so many good exercises you can do without equipment. There's so many body weight exercises you can get on the ground and you can do sit-ups. You can do a plank. Um, You can do push-ups. If you can't do push-ups fully, you can do them on your knees. 
Um, you can just jump around and do some jumping jacks or some high knees. There's so many things you can do in just five minutes or 10 minutes that will get your heart rate up. You don't need exercise. Like you don't need equipment. Okay. I'm I'm not motivated enough. I'm I just don't have the motivation. I when I get back home from work or from school, I'm just so tired. I, I just can't get myself to do the workouts. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think you would feel more motivated if you did the workouts at a different time, like maybe before work or before school? Possibly. Yeah, because maybe that's something you could think about. Um, sometimes when you get home from work, you're exhausted and you just don't have it in you. But sometimes if you switch up the times, then you're using your energy at the beginning of the day before you've gotten a chance to get exhausted. Awesome. Two more. I can't afford a coach right now. It's too expensive. Well, you're at the perfect time to not be able to afford a coach because there is a thousand online coaches right now. You can go to so many different websites and have all of their workouts for free um, are very cheap at the very least. Um, and there's so many different workouts on YouTube. There's so many options for ways to get affordable workouts. You just need to know what you're looking for. So maybe you're looking for an ab workout. You can go on YouTube and search ab workouts, and I'm sure you'll find hundreds of them there. So there's lots of options for you. Okay. That, that's actually pretty solid. Final mm -hmm. one. Okay. You ready for this one? Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do. Okay, that's fair. Um, with people that don't know what to do, I think I would make it as simple as possible. Like, what is your goal? What What is your workout goal? Um, I want to lose 10 pounds. Okay. So then I would say focus on moving. Focus on either walking or running or doing jumping jacks or skipping. Anything basic that gets your heart pumping, do that 20 minutes, five times a week. And then when you're ready, increase it to 25 minutes. When you're ready, 30 minutes. And at the same time that you're doing that, try to cut out processed foods from your, your diet and add in more water, add in more vegetables. That's all I would say. And I think if you follow that for a couple of months, I think you'll lose weight. That's awesome. I, I love how simple it is and it, it, the people can make it what you know they, they want. Uh, somebody who can, you know, move more will move more. Somebody who can move less will move less, but they're moving nonetheless. I love that. Exactly. Yeah. I think it doesn't need to be complicated. We make it yeah. very complicated, but as long as you have the intent and you're, you're taking little steps every day, I think you'll see a change for sure. All right. Now, now I'm, I want to get to a part of this uh, episode that I've been looking forward to because I've, I've noticed your social media presence and you're really good <laughs> at you. it. I'll say Thank that. You. Like uh, you're really good at I'm I'm learning. I say that because I admire the fact, you know, there's some people out there like yourself who are crushing it. I'm like, oh man, like I got to learn how to do that. Like how to be so comfortable in front of the camera. <laughs> what I, I really do admire about that though is, you know, I, I remember the first time you posted about uh, your personal training services on, on Instagram. I was like, oh wow, I just, uh, you know, getting into coaching. That's awesome. Right. I remember thinking this is not your typical Instagram influencer. Okay. Mm -hmm. And by typical, I mean the ones who you know, take off their clothes, take a picture, say I'm a coach, and they provide you a template from God knows where. How do you balance marketing on social media? Because that's what we do, right? Social media is essentially marketing. How do you manage that with staying true to, okay, I want to provide good value to people. I don't want to just sell something for the sake of selling it. Well, I think that there's always going to be people that are looking for genuine people that want to help them. And there's always going to be a demographic that appreciates 
the demographic that you are because there's so many people that are like you in the world like there's so many if i'm talking about me there's so many hijabi girls mm-hmm. in toronto in the gta that are looking for someone to work out with and they want someone that understands them i think if you're willing to get to people's level and really try to relate to them you're always going to have clients because you're always going to have people that want um that genuine interaction and i think i do my best to provide that for people and i try to really be on their level and let them know that I respect them and I'm there for them and I want the best for them. That's amazing. And, and if I could pick your brain on that, because I think you're pretty good at what you do on social media, any yeah. advice for coaches who are trying to get better at social media, who are, you know, who want to do the the right thing, I'll, I'll call it, which is help people, mm-hmm. but yeah. they, their marketing skills are not their forte. So how does somebody like that, somebody like me, get better at, say, the Instagram or the Facebook social media thing? Um, I think it's just about trying to think about what people want to see and trying to create that. So in this um, climate, for example, it would be thinking about creating a workout plan for people to do at home, Um, something that they can do in 15 minutes with very minimal equipment. That's not super mentally taxing. So thinking about what people want to see and trying to provide it um, in a colorful and well-lit way. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, there was a time when I was like, that's never going to happen with me, but I'm, I'm turning a new leaf. I believe in change. I believe that anybody can learn. And uh, I'm, I'm learning from people like yourself who do it well. So I appreciate Thank you. Thank you. And even in terms of like making a post that's just um, written words, just saying, okay, 15 minute workout and then list off the things that are in the plan for the workout for the day. You know, it doesn't necessarily need to be a video of the coach doing the workout, although I'm sure people would enjoy that as well. Absolutely. Where does the journey uh, go next for you? Obviously, we know you want to compete again and train again when the gyms are open. Uh, mm-hmm. But as as a coach yourself, uh, you know, I, I how long before I go into that? How long have you been a coach, working with clients? Um, about three years now. Okay. Um, I guess the goal is I've always wanted to be a Muay Thai world champion. That was always my goal. Um, so we'll see where you know the world takes me, what God's plan is. But I I've always wanted that. So. That would be my goal in terms of Muay Thai. What about uh, as a coach yourself? You've just started. Now, three years is a relatively short time. I'll say that. But you mm-hmm. know, you're you're getting into sort of the middle phase of uh, a personal trainer or a coach career. What's next for you? Um, you know, I don't have specific goals for coaching other than I want to expand the amount of people I'm coaching and expand mm-hmm. the amount of um, reach that I have mm-hmm. in terms of helping people and you know, creating a positive environment and space for people to train. And and who's your ideal client? Um, generally female, generally my clients are um, usually Muslim women who want someone that understands their, their view of the world. Um, and often people that want to train in their homes without having to wear the hijab and be able to feel comfortable um, with another woman. I, I think, you know, voices like yours are so important because we don't hear much of this. We know, you know, you're out there. We just don't hear enough of this kind of services or this kind of uh, perspective. We see the rest of it on social media. And that's one of the purposes of this podcast. One of the missions that I have is I need to counter the other stuff that's out there. Because when you yeah. just see the other stuff, myself included, I remember there were times in my life uh, earlier when I, I'd get really sad and I'm like, why am I sad? Everything's going okay in life. Why am I like down in the dumps? And I realized that, oh, wait, for the last like four days, I've been going through this one particular Instagram 
coach who's been posting all the stuff. And, you know, as human beings, you always compare yourself to other people, right? It's yeah. just something we do. And I realized, oh my God, like I was comparing my, uh, let's say the size of my, my business at that time to what this person was doing. And and yeah. and my physique compared to this person. Now this person obviously single. They have all the free time in the world. I was a dad of two, <laughs> so it's like, wait a second. I had to reel myself back and say, hold on, your lifestyle's different. Back when you were single, you look like that too. So it's 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 one of those things where the more you look at just one perspective, the less you totally understand the whole picture, and you get lost in the depths. So I I feel it's so important that people like yourself put your voice out there, put your stuff out there on social media because we need a balance. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I think it's true. I think there's that quote that says comparison is the thief of joy. And mm -hmm. if we're if we're comparing ourselves, we're we're generally miserable. Oh God, don't we know it back in the Muay Thai mm -hmm. days? Good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Aisha, now um, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, okay, mm -hmm. and, and they want to connect with you, how can they do that? Um, so I'm on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram is Aisha A I S H A M A R Y A M and two underscores. Um, so they can contact me on Instagram. They can send me a direct message, and I'll get back to them within the business day. Awesome! I'm so glad we were able to do this. I appreciate you coming on today, and we're gonna do this again. I have an idea to bring some medical uh, professionals together. Uh, so that's amazing, uh, and have a nice little uh, podcast session talking about the medical side. Uh, of of health and and fitness yeah. uh, related to that particular section, so I, I'd be very interested in doing that with you again uh, one more time. That would be great. Yeah, I'm definitely interested. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much, Aisha. We'll talk again soon. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. All right. I hope everybody enjoyed that conversation. I think it's very important that we combine the health sector and the fitness sector together to understand the holistic view of being healthy and fit. One without the other doesn't work because the fitness professionals like myself are working hard to make sure people don't get to the point where they start breaking and have to go to the doctor's office. But life can happen. And when you do end up having to go seek medical professional help, the medical professionals are experts in their field. They are the ones who are going to help you come back from that broken state into being full human beings. And the funny thing is, it's, it's, it's cyclical. As soon as you're done with the medical sector and your health is back up and running, you need to see a fitness professional to get you back up to a good fitness level so you can prevent what took you to the doctor's office in the future. I'm really glad we were able to do this today. I'm looking forward to having more medical professionals on the show so we can talk about much more, help you guys in different ways. And until the next time we see each other, take care of yourself, stay strong, be kind to one another, and I'll see you then.